0: How's it going, guys? Welcome back to your favorite sports podcast, Clocks on the Stove. Uh, usual host, myself, Mister Fisher. With me, my partner in crime, Zach Watts. We also got joined us for the first time ever, our intern, Zach and Cheese. Uh, you know, this is a little different than the normal route we do. Um, we th- this isn't. I wouldn't say it's not athlete and sport affiliated. It definitely is, but we're looking more like the psychological aspect of sports and life someone i've been wanting to bring on for a long time we've been working on it he's just a super busy individual mr jordan Kemper. jordan thanks for coming on man
1: yeah really excited to be here thanks for having me so
0: obviously i know a lot about you but you know the zacks and also our audience doesn't know too much about you if you want to just take this take a second or two to just explain who you are and what you do
1: yeah well it's an honor to be on with you guys um i'd like to consider myself still an athlete but uh it's been a minute for me uh yeah, just my, my quick story is uh, I'm originally from Illinois. Um, I was a college athlete. I played football and basketball. I was on my way to medical school. Um, a doctor introduced me to the direct sales industry. Uh, I was 22 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, as I really started to think about the direction I wanted to go with my life, I don't know, medical school and fellowship and working for someone else, I just kind of started to kind of piece together what my life would look like. And I thought, you know, I don't know if this is really what I want. And so uh, I jumped into the direct sales industry as a 22-year-old. That gave me the freedom and flexibility to pursue a professional football career. I did play a year of arena football. And, uh, you know, that didn't work out. I wasn't able to go to the next level. But what I enjoyed was that I was in control of my schedule. And that really was the birth of entrepreneurship for me. Um So I've had a a successful career inside of direct sales uh, for 16 years. And then shortly after I got married in 2015, I started a consulting company. Um, Now I have uh, quite a few different businesses that I run. Uh, But really what gives me the most joy is my family. Um, I'm married to the most incredible girl. Her name's Kristen. We've been married almost eight years. We've got a three-year-old named Kinley. Uh, Tampa is home, and uh, man, I'm just passionate about helping other people succeed. I'm happy I-, I love seeing people thrive in their faith, thrive in their family, th- thrive in fitness, thrive in business. And so uh, when I really think about this opportunity today, it's about how can we collectively together impact more lives. And so it's really an honor to be here. That's
0: awesome. And that's, I mean, you you killed it. That's exactly why we wanted to bring you on. You know, our target audience, not even our target audience, like the majority of our viewers are young men. You know, they are uh, high school to middle age, not middle age, but like, you know, your average sports fan, 15 to 35. That's usually yep. our, our main audience. And um, I don't know about you guys, it might be a self-opinion, but I feel like we live in a time where it's harder to be a young man today than it was 15, 20 years ago. And there's not as many resources you know and uh talking to like some of my kids I coach youth wrestling talking to some of the parents like it's hard to be a man today because you know one there's not as many strong men leaders to 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 default to follow and, and to observe as well as there's so many like demands and requirements like you know like to find a wife you have to be able to be financially stable for her. you have to be able to do this do that um I saw a really good I don't know if you've heard his name his name's Scott Galloway he's like somewhat of a motivational speaker for men a little bit into politics a little bit of not and i'm not trying to get political in any way but he was saying you know it's really hard to advocate for young men and to advocate for men in general because you go out and you say i'm pro men and people automatically assume that you're anti women or you're anti this and anti that and he goes being pro men does not mean you're anti-women he goes you know who needs strong and healthy and smart men women so my first question for you jordan is you know piggybacking off of what I was talking about with the young men and the struggle. What what would you say if you were talking to a, a young version of yourself living in today's world with the struggles and how hard it is to become a successful man in, in today's
1: world? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And uh, to your point, you know, I'm 38. That wasn't really a question that we were like examining 10, 15 years ago. I think we celebrated masculinity. And it's not that men are more important or of higher value than women. It's just, we're different. Uh, genders are different. And now, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my my daughter, Kinley, she's three. Like, if she was to go to school next year the year after, like, kids are getting to decide which gender they want to be and and which direction they want to go. And so it's just a more complicated world. So that being said, what I would love to share is that, like, I celebrate – uh gender differences and i think that there's value in both genders but being a man i feel like i can speak to other men a little bit better and i think right now we need men to to be men i think we need to be men of courage we need to be men that are bold we need to have men that are strong that are steadfast that know directionally which way they're going that have vision that can lead a family. You know, if you can change a man, you can change a family. I believe that the the man is um, uh, the directional leader of the home. And although both men and women are equals, I do feel that the man is is the head of the household and women are looking for men to be strong. And I think a lot of times women step into a masculine role because it's void in the man. So I would encourage men to step into that role because women want that. That's attractive to women. Women don't want to be masculine. They just do it because the man's not masculine enough. So, you know, I would say this to young men, like be tender warriors. You know, if we, we, we go way, way, way back to the to, to way that we were, we were originally designed 2000 plus years ago, like men were warriors. And they were, they were they were celebrated for being warriors. But today I like to use the term tender warriors. I like men that are strong. They know how to use a sword if they need to, but they can sheath that sword. But the enemy needs to know that you know how to use that sword. And if you can't use that sword or don't know how to use that sword, it's kind of ineffective. So I love that men can be courageous and bold and warriors, but also have that tenderness to where they can be compassionate and empathetic and understanding. And I think the more we see that, I think you're going to have stronger uh, marriages, uh, stronger families, stronger business relationships. I think men really can. We can as a, as a, as a gender, we, as all men can, can step up in that area.
2: Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about your own life story and how you were coming up. You were trying to find like that point in your life where you realized maybe this is something that I want to do right now. So you were trying to figure things out and now we're speaking about how we can take steps towards the right direction and to kind of being these tender warriors. What do you think is the first or most important step in that process for people that may not know what they're doing as of yet, but if they want to, at some point, where should they go first? Like where, whether it be mindset or something that they're doing on a day-to-day basis, like where should they go?
1: Yeah. Great question. I think it really comes down to having clarity about your mission in life. That's where it starts. I think a lot of people don't have clarity. And if you don't have clarity about what you want in your life, where you want to go, what you want to accomplish, who you want to become, it's hard to take actionable steps towards what it is that you want, because you don't know really what you want. You know, if you think about like, I live in Tampa, Florida, and if I'm trying to go somewhere and I just start going, I could end up anywhere. But if my plan is to get to Chicago, like I need to be in Chicago. Well, there's different routes to get to Chicago, but I have an end goal in mind. And you might take one route and I might take another route, but either way, I have a vision of where I'm going, ultimately who I want to become. So I think most people, if I was encouraging men today, I would say, get clear on what it is that you want and, and be give yourself some grace because it's going to shift a little bit. You know, Maybe you want one thing in your early 20s and in your late 20s, it changes. And then maybe you get married, then you have kids. Like your your why, your vision is constantly going to evolve. But if you don't know directionally what you want in life, you're gonna have a hard time getting anywhere. You'll go nowhere. So as I think about my vision, you know, faith is very important to me. And uh, I, you know, different people listening to this podcast may have different types of faith, and I'm I'm cool with that. But for me personally, I believe in God, Uh, I believe in his son Jesus and I, I believe that that faith is what really steers me directionally so this is this is my my personal journey so i know that w- with faith faith influences every decision i make so for example um i knew that one day i wanted to get married i didn't get to meet my wife until i was 29 we got married when i was 31 i was actually a virgin when we got married now pump, some people are like whoa Why did you do that? How did you do that? Like, how is that even possible? Well, I'll tell you, I made a decision as a 13 year old boy. I was at a youth group. My youth pastor uh, challenged all of us in the room to remain sexually pure. At the end of his conversation with us, he handed each one of us a red key. It was like an Ace Hardware key that was painted red. And he just said, let this be a symbol of your decision today. And if you accept this challenge, one day when you meet your spouse, I'd love for you to give them this red key. Well, most of the junior hires in the room probably lost the red key on their way out. But for whatever reason, I was challenged by his message. And so I took that red key and I put it in a safe in my bedroom where only I knew where it was. And I only was the, I was the only person with a combination to the lock. So I held on to this red key. I didn't tell anybody about it. But I, I made a decision as a 13-year-old boy that I was gonna give that red key to my wife. Well, my friends, when I turned 31 and I married my wife, I gave Kristen that red key. And uh, I can't even tell you the moment that we were able to share as I gave her that red key because it wasn't about the stupid red key. It was about a decision that I made as a teenage boy, long before I knew Kristen's name, long before I knew who she was, I had made a decision that I was gonna remain sexually pure because I knew that that would contribute to the success of our marriage. You think about the long-term gratification of a decision made 20 years earlier, right? So think about that today. All of us make red key decisions every single day. Decisions that we make impact other people. So the purest decisions in life are the ones that we make on behalf of other people. Now think about this. If I didn't have strong faith, or if I didn't have a reason for wanting to stay sexually pure, do you think I would have been motivated for 20 years to remain sexually pure? Not a chance, not a freaking chance. I met the most attractive women. I dated some attractive women. I mean, I would have given up on that long ago, but because my vision was my faith, my vision was one day being married. My vision was one day being able to have that conversation with my wife and telling her I waited for you. That vision was so strong that I was able to stick to it. Well, What about your vision for your finances? What about your vision for your relationships? What about your vision for your health? Like you need to have vision in all areas. And when that vision and faith is strong, you will make the necessary sacrifices to win and triumph in those areas of your life. And so I really believe that it's kind of a three-step process. Faith in what it is that you want. Number two is sacrifice because it will take sacrifice to get whatever it is that you want. All things worthwhile in life are uphill nothing in life comes easy. And then number three is once you're willing to make those necessary sacrifices and do what the average person is not willing to do, you will triumph. And that's where you become a winner in life. And I'll tell you, most people are not winners. Most people are losers. And that's because they're not willing to do what it takes to be successful in various areas of your life. So clearly define what it is you want, know that the sacrifice is coming, and then anticipate being a winner. I have uh, two things I want
0: to say. First of all, I like the word sacrifice you use. I don't know if you've ever heard of the mixed martial artist, George's St. Pierre. It's like, like the greatest. That's one of the Brown games, you know? Um, And I read his autobiography and he stated that once you become so obsessed and so in love with a goal that the word sacrifice needs to be thrown out the window and you need to change it to decision because Mm. it's no longer a sacrifice. I'm no longer sacrificing going out Friday night to go to practice I'm choosing to go to practice over going out it's not a sacrifice I'm not giving this up for this I'm choosing this I want to do this over doing this so once you learn to change the word sacrifice to decision it's a lot easier to find the sense in your goal and that's something I read I think I read that book in my second fight so about a year almost two years ago and it's stuck with me since you know once you can change that word sacrifice to decision it may there's more meaning behind your purpose the other thing I want to talk about is you know you talk about this route of finding our true you know like what we want to do in our life, who we want to be. And this is something that I, I don't I can't speak on behalf of Zach, but I can speak on myself that really struggled for me this past year. You know, it's a lot of people call it that like gap year where it's that year in between the year after you graduate. And it's a really weird year because you're like getting resettled back into normal time. And it's not like, know what party am I going go to this weekend? It's like, what am I going to do on tomorrow? You know, like it's like a very slow time. You feel like you need to get a career right away, but at the same time you're like, you know, there's a lot of time. It's a weird state in your time that whole this whole past year i've had and i, I read I, I saw this on twitter and it's stuck in my brain like glue it's called an ikigai have you ever heard of that no it's a japanese concept and it basically breaks down your meaning in life into four parts you should find something you love you should find something you're good at you should find something that helps with what the world needs and what you can be paid for and if you can combine those four things into one thing and like obviously it might be a little bit of everything you're going to find your meaning and your purpose in life. You know, what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can be paid for. It's an old uh, Japanese concept called an Ikigai. And once I learned about that, it was like, it, it was like I had, I was blind and I put on the strongest glasses in the world. Like it was crazy just understanding, like if you can find a way to incorporate all four of those things, the path and the meaning you could say of life becomes
1: so much simpler. So good. Let me add something to what you you just commented on. So the word decision, interesting because the word decision comes from the Latin word the same as incision. So it means to cut off from, to to cut off from the possibility of anything other than what you've committed yourself to. So when a real decision is made, you're literally divorcing yourself from the other options. So for example, if you've ever fasted or dieted, right, think about the two. Well, dieting, there's a little bit of leeway, right? Like one piece of cheesecake's not going to hurt me, but like before you know it, half a cheesecake goes to a full cheesecake. Before you know it, you have four pieces rather than the half of one you were supposed to have. Whereas when you fasted, you've already made a decision that no food is allowed, right? You've made a decision. And so I often tell people that like, I want my decisions to be as firm as, as one who is fasting. Or if you were to say to somebody, hey, do you want a cigarette? Well, if they gave up smoking, they'll literally say, no, not only do I not want a cigarette, they'll say, "I'm not a smoker. Like I've divorced myself from that that lifestyle. I, I, I don't want a cigarette. I, I'm, I'm not a smoker. So I think sometimes young people don't like to make decisions because they want to keep all their options open. And I can I can uh, relate to that. So when I graduated from from Wheaton College in Chicago, I had an acting contract. I had a casting agent in Chicago. So I was in a a film with Dennis Quaid. I was doing some commercial work in Chicago. I remember one summer I was in a movie. I got paid 13 grand. And that was big money to a college student. I was trying to play in the NFL. Um, I made good money on the weekends, helping my dad in construction. So I had a lot of options. And I found it difficult to commit to one thing. And so ultimately, one day I made a decision that I want to build my business. And so I made a decision, I eliminated those distractions, and that one is when I found success, particularly in that business. Excuse me, my (laughs) voice was cracking. So what I would tell you is this: like the world says, have multiple streams of income, right? True or not true. Okay, I'll say it's true. The problem is. A lot of young people try to create multiple streams of income at the same time, and then they end up not being successful in any of them. Or, you know, they don't want to commit to a relationship because, well, somebody better might come along. So before you know it, it's like we we as young people want to keep our options open. Could you guys relate to that? So this is what I would say. I'm not saying that like, this is the end all be all, but like, you need to be a decisive person. You need to have clarity on what it is that you want to accomplish. And that's what you need to chase after. So looking back, if I really wanted to be an NFL football player, and that was my only focus, I would have gone to more uh, pro days. I would have had more workouts. I would have gotten in front of more agents. Like I would have focused more on that, but you know what it was? There was a fear inside of me that I wasn't good enough to make it. So you know what I did? I stayed in shape. I got in front of some scouts, but like I kept my other options available. That's what I did. And I think that I probably missed out on an opportunity possibly to play in the NFL. I didn't really pursue acting because there was a little bit of fear that I wouldn't make that work. And then ultimately, when I started dating a girl in my twenties, I realized that I wasn't in a position financially to be married. And that's when I decided like, dude, I need to make a decision. I need to, I need to pick something and pursue it. And that's when I chose to build my direct sales business. And when I eliminated those other options and I planted my flag, dude, I crushed it that year and became successful. And then I had nine years of consecutive growth in that business set records, you know, became financially stable. Everything was going well. Things didn't work out with that relationship. She ended up breaking up with me and she's happily married and I'm happy for, but she was a catalyst in my journey. She was a, she was a catalyst to help me realize that I needed to do things differently. And so that when I eventually did meet my wife, Kristen at 29, I, I was in a position to, to get married. I felt like I was strong emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, I was in a much better place. And so I do credit you know, some of those relationships that I had along the way to kind of position me for, you know, being prepared for when Kristen came along. So I hope that's encouraging. No, for sure.
0: I know Zach's about to go. I just got to, you just reminded me of a quote I love. It's uh, a, a true loser. Isn't someone who fails a true loser is someone who's so scared of failure. They don't even try, you know, and that's what, that's kind of what the vibe you gave me there. Yeah. You
2: know, Jordan, you talk a- or we've been talking a lot about just having the decisiveness in order to make certain decisions and, you know, trying to build clarity on the missions that we have in life. But, you know, oftentimes we even touched on when you're younger, you want to try to keep so many doors open and that when you're on a path, you know, there's very, there's many different paths to get to a common goal, but are there certain things within your goals that you cannot accept failure on? Like there are, are there certain things where you can be like, okay, I can, maybe change up some things here and there, or maybe this isn't working out so I can change this, but are there certain things that we have to stay driven, committed to, and just not accept failure in certain aspects? Yeah, man, another great question.
1: So there's non-negotiables in life and uh, some non-negotiables for me is uh, things related to my faith. So for example, uh, I believe that each one of us is on this earth for a purpose. I believe that we're not here by accident. I believe that we were carefully woven together in our mother's wombs. And I believe that that, you know, the 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 sperm and the egg coming together. I mean, the chances of each one of us being here today, if we knew the chances of that, it's crazy. Like we think of like the lotto and how difficult it is to win the lotto. Like all of us have already won the lotto. We're here, we're breathing. We we woke up another day. I mean, it's just crazy to think that like the combination of things that had to happen for each one of us to be here. So that being said, I do believe that I'm here for a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, I believe it's to love God and love others. So I won't do anything that is contrary first to that mission. If it's if it's if it's contrary to Scripture, if it hurts another person, uh, if I'm if I'm disobeying God, like if I'm doing something contrary to my faith it's a non-starter for me non-negotiable because i know that one day i'm going back in a box my life's coming to an end and although my my physical body is gone my spirit lives on and now i'm spending eternity with my my creator so people like say well you got to maximize your life bro you got to like travel the world and have big cars and nice houses and like you got to max out this life and Although I do believe God wants us to live an abundant life, he wants us to experience the beauty and wonder of this creation. I do believe that's true. I know that one day it's coming to an end. And when I stand uh, before my creator, I'm going to have to to recount how I chose to live the life that I was given. So that's number one. Number two is when I think about non-negotiables, health, health is wealth right? And I think young people actually understand this a little better today than young people of my generation. I think people are seeing that like true health is wealth. I mean, who cares how much money and possessions and businesses you have if your health is gone? And a lot of people will compromise their health in the pursuit of wealth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I say that you have to do both. You need to make sure that you're improving your health as you improve your wealth. And someone that has done this really well is Rob Dyrdek. Uh, He's somebody that I've enjoyed studying. You know, his time management and the way he manages his time and his family, I mean, he's like meticulous. A good friend of mine was on a phone call with him just a few weeks ago, and he had booked a 15-minute call with Rob, which, mind you, that's difficult to do. But it was literally like 5.59, and the call was scheduled for 15 minutes, and it was going to end at 6. And Rob literally says to my friend, he goes, you have 15 seconds. And my friend is like, wait, what? i confused, you know what I mean? Because normally the call will just go a few minutes over and then they'll, hey, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Like, no, no, he said, you have 15 seconds. And literally at the end of 15 seconds, he hung up the phone because his time was done. And I know that's kind of an exaggerated uh, example, but what it shows me is that there are some people who are really intentional about what they do. And he wasn't gonna allow that phone call or work to to compromise the time that he was planning to spend with his daughter. And so as I think about that example it's like how intentional am I in my life? Okay, so I've got to make sure that I'm not giving up health in the pursuit of wealth. I need to make sure that nothing uh, is contrary to to my faith and my moral values. And then from a business perspective, I realize now having been an entrepreneur for 16 years, time is my most precious gift. So Oftentimes I will say no to things, not just because I, I, it's not enough money or it's, it's it, to me, it's, no, I have priorities. So what priorities are most important to me? Well, family is important. Health is important. As I start thinking about my priorities, you know, Warren Buffett says no to 99 opportunities that come his way. So one out of a hundred gets a yes, 99 gets no. Well, why is that? It's because he knows what his vision, he's so clear on what sort of intentional life he's living. So if we get clarity and vision for what it is that we want, we know what our non-negotiables are. Now we can start to structure our habits and our days to make sure that it's moving us directionally towards whatever that vision or purpose is.
0: There's a million things I could talk about right now just off of that. Um, I'm going to just go in order from what I can remember first health is wealth, love that. I think it is absolutely, so I agree and disagree with what you said. I agree kids our age um, care more about their health. I also think they care less about, it. I think it's, there's not a middle ground. They're either like, like me who is like tracking everything that goes into my body. I I will eat the grossest stuff for a week if it means I'm going to perform better. I care more about my output than the input. And then you have people that are like, my body, my beauty. Like we live in that, in that area. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous because it's not a opinionated thing. It's a scientific, you are unhealthy kind of thing. And I think it's also crazy to me that it's like, like you said, people care more about building their business than they do about their physical health. Like you Mm -hmm. understand you will die. Like your, your life will be over. I think it's this, this not prioritizing our health is the most insane thing in the world. And I'm not saying to be like myself where I'm trying to, trying to become a professional the Mayfire and I'm super strict. No, but you should work out every single day. You should be drinking a lot of water. You should be eating healthy, you know? And obviously, yes, part of that is due to our environment. We're shoving 99 cent cheeseburgers down your throat for a $5 salad. That's part of it too. But it's insane to me that people care so much more about their business, so much more about other things that I'm not saying are meaningless, but that aren't as directly impacting you as your health is. I think that's insane. Cause like, let's say we have an apocalypse and all the businesses go away and we're trying to survive, your health is the only thing left. That is the yeah. number one priority in your life. The second thing I, I want to talk about is I love that you brought up Rod Dick. I've been coming. I, I've always liked him, but seeing his business side now, because that's what we're starting to see more, I, I'm obsessed with. And one thing I kind of took a little bit from him, and I took a little bit from Matthew McConaughey, who's one of the top five favorite people of all time. Um, I, every single Sunday, right out my entire week, I don't do it to the dot like Dick does. I'm not important enough to have that many things but i write out all the main things so what i'll do is i'll write out monday all right i know i got 10 a.m jiu-jitsu and i got 11 30 wrestling i gotta go to work by 12 or i gotta go to work by one excuse me and then i know i have to go to the gym at i have to be at the gym by five if i wait any later i'm not gonna fall asleep like boom boom boom, boom. then i do that for tuesday then i do it for wednesday then I do, I do it all the way from sunday to sunday and then i put a sidebar of things that need to get done this week they just don't need to be assigned to a day so then it's like, say I get an extra hour Monday at work that I have some free time I didn't know I have. I go to that bar and I grab it and I cross it out. And almost every single day I'm changing my list all the time because there's so many, I like to call them uncontrollables that are thrown into your life that you never know what's going to happen so you have to adapt. But I saw Matthew Connay talking about it and he's like, one of the largest reasons why people don't do, or like have good days or they wake up in a bad mood is they wake up and there's just so many things. thrown. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But when you can wake up and it's already, all right, Grayson, you're going to do this. Once this is done, we'll do this. Once this is done, we do this. And I think that got that OCDness from my mom because whenever she wanted us to do chores, it wasn't like, you have to do this, 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 and that. No, no, my mom put it at a list. You're going to do this first. Then you're going to do this. And it helps me focus because sometimes – I know this is a horrible way to describe this, but it's the way I think about it. I always think about how Hitler was in World War II, how he tried to attack every single country at once, and that was the downfall of Hitler. You know, if he would have focused on, all right, let's take over Poland. Then once we get that, then we're going to take over this country. It would have been a lot different. And obviously, look, I wanted Hitler to lose. I'm just saying my dad's a historian buff. That's how my brain works. Man, I, people tend to see to do the same things. We try to attack everything at once to the point we get so overwhelmed that we don't even leave our bed because we're so scared because there's so much. But if I know, look, I need to do this. I have this podcast with you from 2 to 4, 2.45, 3.45. Nothing else matters right now. My phone doesn't matter right now. My If I have homework, my homework doesn't matter. For this one hour, I'm giving you 110% of my attention and time. Once that's done, I can cross it off my list. And then whatever the next thing is, that gets 100%. Rather than I put a little 5% here, 5% there, 5% there. And I think that has to go back also with what you're saying with your intentions. You know, being more intentional. We talk a lot about, and this is something I've been trying to do you know, um, when I left college. I don't know, remember Denarius? You used to work out at Sky Athletics? Yeah. I have a lot of, like, deep philosophical conversations with Denarius all the time. And I was talking, I was like, I do a very good job at time management. I do a very poor job at time efficiency. So I'm good at making the time that I need to do. I'm bad at using that time that I put aside for exactly what I need to do. So that's something I've been trying to work more on is is not the time management aspect, is the efficiency with
1: my time. So you you said a couple of things there I want to add. So number one, I think not just young people, all people today struggle with comparison. So I think that's something where it's like, well, this person – says that you can do it all. You can be a mom, you can be a business owner, you can be a this, a that, you can be. And so sometimes like we get into this comparison game and constantly thinking that we're not enough, which can lead to some of that paralysis, I would say. A second mistake that I I, I heard you, you, you mentioning is a lot of people, the first thing they do when they wake up is they go to their phones. I mean, the second they wake up, they're scrolling social media. So rather than being in creation mode, they're in they're in uh, consumption mode. They're consuming other people's thoughts, other people's ideas, and so input equals output. And the media, <laughs> I mean, the media is, is deceptive. They've got agendas. So all of a sudden, you you got this large input of media influence. You've got comparison happening. Some people go to the newspapers or they go to the TV. They're constantly inundated with now everybody else's thoughts and ideas about the world, right? It's negative influences. It's negative input. So one simple thing everybody can do listening to this podcast, when you wake up, put your phone in airplane mode. Just don't even consider taking it out of airplane mode until you've done your morning routine. Now, what your morning routine is may differ from someone else's. But just to give you an example of some of my morning routine, uh, it's like it's like getting out in, in the sunlight and walking around barefoot in the grass in the backyard. It's spending somewhere between 15 to 30 minutes reading my Bible. It's drinking a huge, huge glass of, of water like I want to get some hydration going. So I don't even like turn my phone off of airplane mode for probably two hours Cause I don't want texts or emails or anything coming to me. I'm in the most creative mode at the beginning of the day. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So these are some simple little habit shifts that can happen that can give you a better day. And if you're looking for uh, examples of what to do with your morning routine, there's a book called the millionaire morning. And uh, it's a great book that you could read to get some ideas of how to kind of structure your morning so that you become more efficient. Because if you study the CEO's, of Fortune 500 companies, all of them accomplish more before 8 a.m. than the average person accomplishes all day. And I really believe that we can take better advantage of our mornings to get more productive, to help us move in the direction where we wanna go. The second thing, just piggybacking off of what you said, is Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law is the amount of time you give a task is the amount of time it takes to complete the task. So if you think about this, when we were all in school, yeah. Why did we wait until the last night to get our term papers done? Because it wasn't due until that night. It wasn't due until that day. I mean, you had six months. You knew you had six months. Why did you wait until the last night to study? Why did you wait until the last night to write the paper? It's because of Parkinson's law. So when I think about you as an MMA fighter, you've got a certain weight that has to be met by a certain date. There is a, there is a defined date. And if you don't make weight, you can't fight in the fight. So you think about that, you are committed to the task because that's the amount of time given to a task. Well, unfortunately, a lot of deadlines that we have in our days are self-imposed. Like, when do I need to get this work done? Or when do I need to get you know to a healthier weight? Or when do I need to clean up the house? Or when, there's no penalty, there's no consequences of not accomplishing that task. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And this is where that discipline has to come in and we have to give ourselves self-imposed deadlines to accomplish these tasks. But if some boss or some external factor isn't there applying consequences to our decisions, human behavior kicks in, we get lazy, we don't do it. And that's why most people are broke, they're, they're overweight, their relationships are, are lousy, their sex life is terrible. I mean, it's just, it's this kind of momentum of bad decisions because there's no consequences for saying yes or saying no to something.
2: Yeah, I hate to backtrack a little bit, but one of the things that was kind of sticking to me is about how our time is our most precious commodity. You know, we always talk about how with all the money in the world, you can buy whatever you want, but you can't buy your time back. That's the only thing. Dr.
0: Strange can though, but.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But we cannot, we are not Dr. Strange. (laughs) We weren't blessed with those ability. But one of the things I kind of wanted to, to touch on is You know, growing up as a Christian, a lot of things that I was told as a kid was, you know, God has a plan for us. You just need to be patient. But, you know, that's kind of very contradicting with how precious your time is, especially as we grow older. You know, we try to be very meticulous in what we do. We try to be very time oriented in our time management, like Grayson's trying to build on. So how do we know the difference between being patient and just letting time get away from us? Where do we draw the line? Damn, Zach
1: Watts. That's a great question. So I think the best way to answer that question is with examples from scripture, right? So I I love the story of Joseph. Like I constantly reread that story because I need the mental reminders of Joseph's story. You know, he's been given like 12, 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. I think Genesis 37 through 50. I think he has 13 chapters in the Bible. But if you look at Joseph's story, I mean, look at all the tribulation that he went through you know, literally thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, spent time in prison. Then he ended up becoming a servant, a slave to Potiphar. He was wrongly accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. He was thrown back into prison. He spent years in prison. But that whole time, you think about that, it was like 12 chapters. The dude is literally going through the wilderness phase of life. And I'm sure at times Joseph's like looking up like, God, what did I do? I, I didn't cause any of this, but yet these are my circumstances. And then fast forward, he interprets a few dreams. Uh, and then and then Pharaoh, which at that time was the largest uh, empire in the world, he becomes literally second in command overnight. He goes from prisoner to second in command. It'd be like you and me going from, from state penitentiary to vice president of the United States overnight. That's what happened. And so as I think about that, It's like those 13 chapters, that was Joseph's preparation. God was preparing Joseph for who he ultimately would become. And so this is where we have to celebrate the process. It's not just the destination that we have to focus on. It's the journey of who we're ultimately becoming. Because 13 years or 20 years earlier, Joseph wasn't ready or prepared to be second in command of Egypt. He wasn't. But through all of that tribulation that he went through, he was refined into the person he ultimately needed to become. So I think some people that are unhappy in life is because they're focused on whatever that destination is. They think they need to be second in command in their business, or they need to you know, be a multimillionaire or they need to X, Y, Z. It's like they, in their mind, they have this destination of what they think they're supposed to be or who they're supposed to become. And until they reach that, they're not happy. Well, why not be happy and fulfilled with who you are and where you're at right now? Be be mindful of where you're at presently speaking, right? It's okay to have vision and goals for the future, but are you happy and content with where you're at right now? Uh, I just spoke with a friend the other day. He's the only guy that sold 10 companies to Warren Buffett. Okay? This guy's really done well. Your friend got on the podcast. He just he just acquired another company for 127 million. <laughs> And as I'm thinking about all of his acquisitions and exits and all of the money that he's making, I'm thinking to myself, like, at what point are you happy? What point is enough enough? Well, it's not about the amount of money that he's worth. It's always about the impact that he's having on others. And he enjoys who he is right now in the moment. But he realizes that God's given him gifts and abilities and skill sets that allow him to make these business decisions and make these impactful decisions that obviously influence a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. It's a ripple effect. And so it's just interesting that like I see he's happy right now. And I think that's that unspeakable joy. The difference between joy and happiness is like realizing that joy is something that really can't be taken away from me. There's days where I'm happy and days where I'm unhappy, but I'm still a joyful person because I realize what my identity is. I know who I am. And I know that other people can't influence that. And so as I think about time and to your point, time being the most precious commodity that we have, it is, it absolutely is. And so be present in the moment. Like I'm thinking about my daughter right now. We just spent the last 11 days in Hawaii. Uh, We were in Maui for five days and then we were in Kona for the last five, six days. And I was very hard to reach. I was in airplane mode most of the time that I was there but I was fully present with my wife and my daughter and my daughter's three and a half. And everybody tells me that has older children, man, I wish I could go back to when my daughter was Kinley's age. I wish I could go back to when she was three or four and she still wanted to snuggle with me. And I'm like, I'm in that moment right now. And I know 10 years from now, I'm going to go, I wish I could go back. No, I'm, I'm living the moment. I'm I'm creating the experiences. I'm trying to be as present as I possibly can. And I make sure that my schedule reflects that. So first part of my day until 9.30 is spent with my wife and daughter. And then from 9.30 till about 5.30, I've got, you know, I can get work and different things done. And then from 5.30 to eight every day is time spent my wife and daughter. So I'm spending a large chunk of my day with them. And when I'm there and I'm present, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not answering texts. I'm there. And so you say, well, Jordan, man, if you just maybe worked an extra hour or started working a little extra early, could you make more money? Remember Parkinson's law? The amount of time you give a task is the amount of time it takes to complete a task. I am more efficient today with less hours than I was when I was single and I had the whole day. You can be more productive with less hours if you're more efficient. And so I've not tried to necessarily increase the volume of my work. I try to increase the effectiveness of the time that I'm working. And so if I can become more effective with my time, I realize that I don't really need to work eight hour days to be effective. I can actually accomplish a lot more in four or six hours and still make more money and still accomplish the goals and vision that I have. I
0: could talk to you all day about everything, Jordan. Damn. First thing, don't for, don't spend so much time worrying about the future that you forget to enjoy the present. You know, that's a big quote I think about a lot. And somebody who really helped open that thought for me is Nick Scott. I have so many, and this is like, this, this is a graceful belief, but I believe that in that moment, post-suffering, post a really hard practice, post a really hard lift, that's the most genuine person you are ever. You know, the, the the most deepest and philosophical and, and true, this is who I am, this is who you are, conversations I've ever had or after sparrings on Wednesday nights or after a crazy hard lifted chain. Because that is when your exhaustion's there, everything's gone, and that's just your genuine person. And I've had some very deep conversations with Nick Sky about this. Um, for you guys that don't know who Nick Sky is, he's the head owner of, of the gym that me and Jordan work out at. Uh, that's how me and Jordan met. And he went through one of the most – traumatic experiences any human being could ever go through in their entire life, you know, living, I think it was 52 hours on a hundred miles offshore with 14 foot swells during a tropical storm, hanging onto the anchor or hanging onto the propeller
1: of the bottom of a boat. And he's the only one that survived. Um he and, lost he lost three of his best friends too. Yeah. And I mean, imagine watching three of your friends drift into the ocean, into the abyss. You can't and do anything about it. One survivor it was an incredible. It's a horrific situation.
0: And he always told me, because I would always come to him with like, just like, what's on your mind, Grace? Like, what's, what's going on? I'm like, I'm stressing about this, stressing about that, this and that. And he's like, where were you five years ago today? And I was like, you know, I was a senior in high school going to geometry class. He goes, what was your biggest stress then? I was like, probably, you know, wh- who am I going to take the homecoming? He goes, think about how small and insignificant that is to you today, five years later. I was like, damn. Yeah, you're right. He goes, and in five years from now, you're going to be wishing that the issues you're coming to me with right now were the issues you had. He goes, you don't have a kid. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have debt. He goes, yeah. I'm not telling you it doesn't suck right now. I'm telling you to think about how how large that issue is compared to your whole life. He goes, because in a year, you're going to forget about it. Think about five years. And ever since I had that conversation with Nick, it has helped me get through some of the toughest times in my life. And I mean, a year ago, a little over a year ago, I got my first ever heartbreak and it broke me like straight depression. One time in my life I've ever been depressed. And I always just can't remember. I was like, in five years, am I even going to remember this? So in five years, am I even going to care about this? And it's been a year and I don't care now, you know? And, and that's, that's what I always think about, you know, ever since I had that talk with Nick, I was like, what? And I always tell my friends that too. And they're freaking out they're talking to me. They're like overwhelmed with life. I'm like, where were you exactly right now, five years ago? And you'll be surprised. You'll remember where you were. And you're like, well, I was here doing this. What was your biggest stress then? My senior year school project. How insignificant is that overall to your life, to where you are today? It's not. And you're good. You're good. You know, and that's how I try to think about it. I try to look at that like timetable of life. You know, how, how significant is this? And sometimes, yes, there are going to be issues you're going to go through that are going to be extremely significant. Yes. But I would say for every hundred, maybe, you know, all these little things you think, and it's like, you know, uh, uh, What's his name? Marcus Raleigh says it best. We suffer more in our imagination than in reality. And I'm a huge, okay. huge, huge believer in that. Um, I know we only got like 11 minutes left. So I want to give this chance for our intern, Zach, to ask you a question. It's our first time ever we've been able to do this. So Zach, the floor is yours.
3: Awesome. Um, so I just wanted to first kind of relate back to the um, the decisiveness and the clarity that really like I really related to that because I I've always struggled with being kind of an indecisive person. There's so many influences um, coming our way as young men just um, so we never know which one's the right one to follow. And because of that, I'm always thinking, oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do this and never really getting um, directly to the point where I'm trying to reach. Um, For example, um, I've been in the gym like the last two, three months and like I've been going back and forth between um wanting to gain muscle and then wanting to lose weight and obviously when you're eating for that like you have to either eat a surplus calories or a um uh an under a certain amount you know um and so um that kind of just got me to the clarity where I got to like just choose one <laughs> and just go with it um so I just thought that was cool um the other thing I kind of wanted to ask um so was there ever a place or a group that you were speaking to and you kind of felt that they weren't relating to what you were saying that well um and how did you kind of readjust to um kind of a different perspective to help explain um what you were trying to get across
1: yeah great question well let me say this you look at all these books behind me like this is only a fraction of the books that I've, I've read. And one thing that we can all do on a consistent basis is develop ourselves, right? So I, I wanted to say this. The number one investment that you can make is investing in yourself. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you're trying to grow. You're trying to become a better version of yourself. So I applaud each of you, first of all, for listening to this and for being humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers and I can learn something from, from anyone. And, and so that being said, then you, you make the commitment, which to your point, you were just saying, do I gain muscle or do I lose fat or I go back to your values, right? Well, what's your value? Well, my value at 38 is vitality. My value is longevity. I want to be a long, I want to be around for my daughter. I want to be healthy and active. I want to be able to play tennis and golf and like I want to be around for her grandkids, you know what I'm saying? So when I was in my early 20s, it was about a six-pack looking good, trying to like impress the ladies. I mean, who cares about health, man? It's about, you know, looking a particular way. I want to have a dark tan. You know what I'm saying? It was like there was more vanity in my motivation. Well, not that I don't want to look good for my wife, but like my vision is different. My motivation is different. So again, it all stems back to your values. If you can get clear on what it is your value is, then you're gonna make decisions based on that. I mean, do I need to run a 4 anymore? No, do I need to like, you know, dunk from the free throw line? No, like these things that used to be goals for me are no longer goals. Now it's about like, not necessarily how much weight can I move in the room? Cause I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's how do I keep my flexibility and sustain long-term vitality and energy so that I can be around for my grandkids? You see what I'm saying? So it's it's hard to think about that perhaps at a younger age because your motivations might be slightly different. But if you can get clear on what it is that you want, remember clarity, then we can start to create the necessary action steps to accomplishing that. The other second part to your question was speaking to groups. Man, I've spoken to a lot of groups and... I don't know, I remember one group in Dallas, I was speaking to like 600 insurance agents and I don't know why, but these dudes were like, tough crowd, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, I couldn't get any emotion out of these guys. There were maybe five women in the room and all dudes. And these are like old stodgy insurance guys. But, you know, Dale Carnegie says it best. How do you win friends and influence people? It's three things. You you talk in terms of, of their interests, right? You make people feel special, important. And and thirdly, uh, you're slow to speak, quick to listen. So I started just kind of trying to engage the audience, ask questions. I wanted to talk in terms of their interests. I wanted to identify what their pain points were. And it's interesting, even though we came from different industries, there were similarities in our struggles because you know what we all deal with, no matter what business we're in, people, people. So I don't care what you are. People are the ones that have the money you say money grows on trees? No, it doesn't. People have the money. So the most important skills you can develop are people skills. I don't care if you're in real estate, I don't care if you're in direct sales, I don't care if you're in in insurance, I don't care if you're in in, uh, private equity, uh, venture capitalism, If you run a hedge fund, no matter what you do, you will be dealing with people. And what is in short supply today is trust, integrity, very short supply today and so the reason people want to do business with me is because they trust me see what i'm saying and part of the reason they trust me is because i've won them as a friend i've been able to influence them in the positive way people's number one favorite sound is their name their names So number one you say their name so if i can say your name and i usually try to say it three times in a conversation that's the most important sound to the person and then if you'll notice most of the time i have conversations with people i'm the one asking the questions and with i'm the one asking the questions i'm the one doing very little of the talking right but i'm the one steering the conversation so oftentimes i'll talk to a person let's say for 20 minutes and 19 of the 20 minutes they're talking one minute of the time i'm talking but i'm the one asking the questions They'll get to the end of the conversation. They'll go home and say, "Oh my gosh, I had this great conversation with this guy." You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, "Well, I didn't talk at all. It wasn't really a conversation. It was more of you talking the whole time." But why do they feel that way? Because they're the ones getting to answer the questions. Because you were you're asking questions that lead them to talk about the things that interest them. And so one of the things that my wife likes to share with others is like she sees me do this, whether I'm in a taxi or an Uber or I'm at a checkout line at Whole Foods or. No matter where I'm at, I want to honor people. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you're worth. I don't care what your experiences are. I want to honor everyone, right? And if you get in a state of honoring people, this is how you can increase those people skills, which end up leading to relationships. And relationships is what leads to business, right? So I would say this, in that situation where I was talking to that group, I had a whole talk planned out. And my whole talk was based on what I thought they needed. Well, after just a few questions and interviewing some of the audience, I started to identify that their needs were different. So I scrapped my plan and I shifted my focus and I talked about something that I felt they needed. And so sometimes we go in with an agenda, but if we can ask the right questions, we'll actually see. Great leaders ask great questions. I realized I needed to change my path and I did. And I feel like it was the right step in that moment.
2: Jordan, I got one last question for you, and I I really just want to exemplify how great it is to have you on here to talk to us, because I think it was really important to kind of talk about these things, whether it be in philosophical or just an approach in life. But I think one thing we've really alluded to throughout this whole podcast is kind of in symbolism, you know, throughout our lives, we have things around us that give us meaning or that help us strive towards different goals. And, you know, a lot of the times, especially with younger people, we have so many things that we want to accomplish, but we tend to lose sight of those rather quickly because we just don't have these daily affirmations or these reminders to keep us in place. And, you know, for most religious people, you know, for Christians, you know, we see the cross as a symbol to remind us of our faith. And, you know, for you specifically, you talked about that red key serving as a reminder to a promise to your marriage and to yourself. Not that symbolism is necessary, important, or unnecessary in each other's lives, but how do we build symbolism in our everyday life in order to keep us on track? What are things we should be looking for in order to keep us on this straight path and to keep us so committed to what we want to accomplish?
1: Yeah, so good. You know, it's interesting that Tony Robbins is big into neuro-linguistic programming. And what's interesting is like, let's say that you were to buy a Jeep you buy a Jeep, all of a sudden you're driving around, you start to notice all the other Jeeps on the road, right? Why is that? Well, are there more Jeeps on the road than there were before? No, it's just you now drive a Jeep. So you look for Jeeps. You're like, oh, I got one of those, right? So I think what we have to do is we have to understand the way the brain works. And I think what we have to do is we have to put some of those symbols around us. So for example, little simple things that you can do. If your vision is creating a better life for your children, like have pictures of your kids, have it on your dashboard, have it on your fridge, have it in your office, set one right there, right smack dab next to your computer. Let that constantly be a reminder of what it is that you're working for. So in that moment, we're like, oh my gosh, that's five people have rejected me in a row. Sales calls are going terrible. I'm just, it's like, boom, vision of my daughter. This is why I'm working so hard. I kind of, I'm going to press through this. So maybe I jump on my trampoline, I get myself in a better emotional state, maybe I go for a quick walk, I come back and I keep going. I persevere, I push through the rejection because my vision is so strong. So I do believe that you need to have tangible reminders of what it is that you're working for. Um, It could be simple things like a picture, a vision board. Uh, Some people do workshops on vision boards. Maybe it's a screensaver on your computer, on your phone. Uh, Funny enough, One of my screensavers on my iPhone is a picture of my grandpa. He died when I was 17. There were 1,200 people at his funeral. You ever been to a funeral with 1,200 people? That was an indicator of the significance that he had played in other people's lives. It was incredible. And I just remember in that moment, I was 17 years old. And I remember, man, my day will one day come. I wonder how many people will show up at my funeral. I wonder if people won't come because it's raining outside and it's an inconvenience. You know what I'm like? but if I have that amount of impact in other people's lives, people will come across the world to be there to honor, you know, the, the memory of my life and the legacy of who I was. It's like, okay, so I have a picture of my grandpa on my phone. Every time I see him, you know what one word comes to my mind, legacy, 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 legacy. It's like, I'm already programmed the decisions I'm making. Am I making them under the context of building legacy wealth? Like, I'm thinking not just about my my daughter. I'm thinking about my daughter's daughter, my daughter's 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 son. Like I'm starting to think four generations down the line. And are they going to look back up that family tree and they're going to go, he was the one. He was the transitional character that changed everything in our family line. He was the one. He's the one that broke the addictions. He's the one that broke the generational sins. You know, we got this long line of alcoholics, this long line of poverty. He's the one. He's the one that changed it. My friends, each one of you on this podcast that are listening, you can be the transitional character in your family. You can be the one that steps out and says, you know what? This is the way it's always been done, but we ain't doing this anymore. This is coming to a stop. We're going to stop this. We're going to have this in our life. This is what our family is going to be known for. Integrity, respect, honor, discipline. You know, you start thinking about what values you want in your life and in your family. You be the transitional character. And anything that you can do to create those tangible symbols, those reminders are important. It's funny. I ended up writing a book called the red key revolution. I bought 10,000 red keys. You hear me? 10,000 red keys. And every time I would speak, I would give everybody red keys. Now you're like, well, wait a second. Why'd you give a red key a 50 year old? Uh, yep. Not sexual purity. That wasn't the goal. <laughs> the goal was I wanted them to have a tangible reminder that we every single day make red key decisions. So just let that red key be a reminder that the decisions you make are gonna impact other people's lives. Let's make sure that we make significant base decisions because we will have the opportunity to impact people. And I think that if we can do that, life's gonna be rough, man. Anticipate that. I love John Maxwell. He says, everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Can you get up uphill accidentally? Like, No, you have to pedal intentionally to go uphill. You can cruise down, but everything worthwhile in life is uphill. So I want to have the mindset that if I'm trying to accomplish something worthwhile, number one, it's going to be hard. And number two, things that are done worthwhile are usually not done alone, which means you're going to be engaged with other people. I mean, look at the Denver Nuggets. They just won a championship, right? Uh, Right. Dude, the freaking Joker, man, you watch that guy. I have such a deep respect for him because of the way he treats his teammates. He never wants the credit. And I just watch him. He's constantly distributing the ball. He doesn't need credit, but does he end up being one of the top scorers and top assists? Yes. But like he's not looking for credit, he's just looking to make his team win. And so I think the same is true in life. I think things that are worthwhile are not done alone, they're done with others. And I think that we need to anticipate it being difficult, it's going to be a struggle. And then put those tangible reminders, like the key, like the picture, like anything that you can do to remind you what that vision and focus is so that you can stay on the path long-term and not give in to immediate gratification. Zach, was there something you wanted to say? I saw you unmuted
0: yourself for a second.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, like, even uh, the Joker after the um, game and stuff, like, he was just like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see my family. Like, he just seems like such a genuine, like, like a uh, family man and just all that. So I just thought that was cool too. But yeah, he, he's very like for everyone else, which is really cool to see.
1: Yeah, I think I saw ESPN or somebody said something it was like it was like, he was like going home from working at Walmart. It's like, hey, you know, my shift is done. We did what we said we were gonna do. Now it's time to go home. Like his mindset is I'm here to do a job. I'm here to serve my team. We did it. Now I'm gonna go home, rest, spend time with my family. And then you watch next year, he's gonna come back ready to go again. Like, it's like, this is just who I am. Winning is a part of my DNA. Like, I remember I hit a big milestone in my first company. Uh, We hit sales and volume as a team that that were record breaking. And I remember I got a call from the CEO. I was in Denver and he said, what are you gonna do to celebrate? And I said, "Uh, go to bed. And he's like, wait, what do you mean? Aren't you gonna like do something tonight? And I said, you know, I had reached this rank and this title and this volume years ago in my head. I already knew I was gonna do it. I just didn't know when. And tomorrow I'm getting up cause I'm gonna be speaking to a group in Denver and I wanna be at my best. And so like the little title, the little rank change behind my name was insignificant to me. I didn't care because it didn't change who I was. It didn't change what I did. It didn't change how I wanted to serve other people. Sure, my title changed. So maybe outside people thought it was cool, but like for me, it was like, no, I'm going to wake up and keep doing what I've always done. I don't care about the title change. And I think that was Joker's mindset. It's like, that's one championship, but he knows in his head, he's got several more championships to win. So let's be in the moment. Let's be present. Let's be thankful for it. But let's quickly remind ourselves that like the job's not done. We're going to start prepping for next year and do it again. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on, dude. I'm
0: so appreciative. I know, like I said, this has been in the works for a while with your schedule and my schedule and then me taking a fight, you know, just a lot of moving pieces, but I, I'm very thankful. Um, if there's
1: any last words you want to say real quick before we go, the floor is yours, man. Well, let me just say this. I love connecting with people. This podcast blesses you. Um, I'm active on Instagram and Facebook. Find me at Jordan Kemper. Uh, man, I'd love to just like, maybe hear from you of what impacted you or what shifts you want to make in your life to, to becoming the best version of yourself. But I want to just remind you of this, that like, we only have one life and we've got one opportunity, one chance. There's no do-overs no resets. We've got one chance. And I just hope that you'll live with the mindset that like, you're going to maximize this life. And as you start thinking about what maximizing this life really means, think about what matters. It's, it's, it's your faith. It's your family. It's your health. It's it's making and contributing more, right? I wanna make more money so that I can impact more people, give away more. You start thinking about what your value system is. Man, you've got this one opportunity. I'm 38, man. I'm gonna be freaking 40 in like 400 days. Like I'm already thinking about that. And I used to say that's kind of the halfway point. Well, if I do what Rob Beardick says, and I live to 114, you know, then I'm gonna live, what does he say, a million minutes or something? Like. Some people are just thinking differently, right? But, but, but don't get me wrong, the, the, in my mind, I'm thinking 40 is not far away. And that's kind of the halfway point for most people. So I'm looking at my evaluated experience. What have I done really well in this first half of my life? And what do I wanna do better in the second half of my life? Have some grace for yourself. Shame and guilt, condemnation is not gonna get you anywhere. Can't go back, change the past. All you can say is all of the experiences, All of the failed relationships, all of the failed investments, all of the failed businesses. Trust me, if I went through my resume of failures, none of you would want to listen to this podcast. I'm just telling you, I I could give you a resume of my failures, but guess what? I'm still here. I'm still showing up. I'm still here because I do want to add value to your life. And I believe that it was all those failures that ultimately led me to this day, to who I am today. And hopefully I have the chance to impact you and you have the chance to impact others, that's the goal. And so it's really been an honor to spend this last hour with you guys. And I'm really proud of you guys for the impact that you're having on others. And it's its really been an honor to be with you today. Thank, Thank you. Zach, you got any final words?
2: Yeah. Um, I've kind of been always finishing on a quote and what you said reminded me about how when you say you reach that rank change, you know, it really didn't feel like anything different because you had already sought out those goals earlier in life. And I think One thing or a quote that stuck out to me was, you know, a man doesn't become a king the day he wears his throne. A man becomes a king the day he was realized he was destined to become one. And Mm -hmm. so once you realize that there are certain things in your path that are awaiting you, you know, once the day does come, it won't be a surprise. It'll be like you were always waiting for that moment. So I really like that. Um, And that really stuck me. I'm glad that you brought that up about like rank changes because, you know, we're all just waiting on our rank to change. We just don't know when it's coming yet. But like we touched on earlier, patience is a virtue, and we just have to show some patience.
3: Zach and James. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you again um, for speaking with us. And um, I'm going to do my best to move with intention. That's what I got out of this, move with intention. Got to intentionally pedal up the hill. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Thank you.
1: I, I love it. Just to add one more quote. Yeah, you're good, man. People don't follow titles, people follow courage. And so to every man and woman listening to this, be a person of courage, be a person of boldness, be a person of conviction. I'm telling you, let your voice be loud, know what you stand for and stand behind it proudly. Because I'm telling you, your voice will be silenced by others that have their own convictions. And I just hope that you know that you can be bold, that you can be loud, that you can be courageous. And I promise you, if you want people to follow you, they'll follow you based on your courage, not your title. And uh, I think your podcast represents that. So again, thanks for having me today, guys.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you, Jordan.